Broadcasting live from the phx.fm studio in Phoenix, Arizona. It's time for Valley Business Radio, spotlighting the Valley's best businesses and the people who lead them. Hello and welcome to Valley Business Radio, where we tell the stories that traditional media tends to ignore and help connect you to the right people. I'm your host, Dr. Adrian McIntyre. I'm joined in the studio today by Brenda Martinez, president of the Land Title Association of Arizona, also vice president and chief title officer with Yavapai Title Agency and Pioneer Title Agency. Welcome, Brenda. Thank you. And Tom Davis, who is the current vice president and president-elect of the Land Title Association of Arizona and also a VP with Pioneer Title Agency. Welcome, Tom. Hi, how are you? I'm great, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation because I think this is an important topic for uh, the industries that you touch, and there are several of them, but also for folks here in the state uh, who certainly need to operate in the environment that you are experts in and don't always understand the importance or the complexity of title and escrow and other other topics that, that are, you know, you're both veteran leaders in. And uh, so both from the perspective of the Land Title Association of Arizona, as well as the perspective of the agencies that you represent. We want to learn more about this issue, about your work, and really come to understand how this underlies, uh, both literally and and, uh, conceptually, so much of what happens around the state of Arizona. So, Brenda, why don't we start off with you? Tell us a little bit about the Land Title Association of Arizona, as well as your own kind of background, how you got into this stuff. Well, the Land Title Association was founded in 1932, and it's affiliated with the ALTA, which is the American Land Title Association. The members are professionals who are engaged in business of insuring titles. And I am at Yavapai Title. I'm the vice president and uh, have been there 41 years. Uh, I started in 1979 when I was still in high school. I'm fascinated by this this fact in and of itself because— First of all, this industry, titles and kind of the, the management of land ownership and things, which I don't really understand. I'm really looking forward to learning about. That predates a lot of what's going on in contemporary uh, Arizona. But your own personal history, you started at such a young age, 17 years old. Right. You start working for Yavapai Title Agency. Yes. What was your first job? Uh, my first job was I, I was a courier. And at that time, uh, Prescott was so small that the courier job consisted of completely walking around the uh, blocks of Prescott, Arizona. And now uh, we have two couriers, and they no longer walk around. It, the city has gotten way too big for that, and so we they they're driving around now. So, you it's know, just- it's it's fascinating to me as we live in an era where we've become so dependent on our smartphones and on broadband access and things of that nature that really the the earlier days were not that long ago. Right. I mean, the Pony Express was, is a memory <laughs> for some older right. people. And, uh, and, and things have changed so rapidly. So in your 41 years with Yavapai Title Agency, you must have worked in a lot of different roles as you work your way up to the position you, you hold now. Can you talk a little bit about that journey? I started as the courier. I became a policy typist. I also worked in customer service. I started examining titles. I recorded for the, at the recorder's office. I then went on and started, uh, uh, I examined titles and became a title officer and then eventually went into the CTO, chief title officer. And now I'm vice president of the company. So a little bit of everything. I've kind of sat at every 
office throughout our office. It, it, and we're still located in the same place. So we start we, we moved into that building in 1979. And so I as I walk through the office and I see it, it's like, oh, I've sat there. I've sat there. I've sat there. You know, it's everywhere. Well, you have such a fascinating perspective on the industry, and I want to learn more all about that. Uh, Tom Davis, you're also with Pioneer Title Agency and uh, president-elect of Land Title Association of Arizona. Can you give us a little of an overview of your work, of this industry, of what we need to understand about it, really in kind of general terms before we get into the details? Sure. Um, Well, like Brenda, I got in this business, uh, you're either born into it or you get into it by accident. Um, And so I've been in this business about 43 years. Um, As far as the, the job we do, I think you can summarize it by saying we get to provide the uh, the people with the American dream of buying a house in their own home, and that's pretty rewarding in itself. Now, there's a lot to that, and there's a lot that takes place to get them to that stage, but uh, the ultimate goal is for a successful closing, uh, trouble-free, they have security of ownership, and uh, they have the American dream. Let's start with the fundamentals uh, for the folks in the back that uh, are just beginning to wrap their heads around this. Um, I've been a a renter my entire life. This is not something I have personal experience in. So first of all, what is a title and what's the role of a title company? A title is uh, title insurance or a deed and ownership to their real property. A couple of functions that title companies provide, you can break it down a couple of different ways. Uh, on the settlement services side, that's the escrow portion of things. They they gather all the documentation. They're the neutral third party that there's a repository for the funds in the transaction. They work together with the title department as the title uh, department produces the preliminary title exam commitment, and then uh, they clear those those adverse matters of record. Uh, and if everything goes well. Yeah, it's a successful close of title, and everybody's happy. So managing a complex transaction that has a lot of different dimensions, a lot of different parties involved, not just buyer and seller, but the, the different players, who, what are, what's involved in something like that? How would you categorize it into some, some kind of big general buckets, Brenda? So if you think about it, you can have the buyer's attorney that's involved, the seller's attorneys that's involved, the lender that's involved. You've got a lot of people that come to the table to close the transaction. And it takes a little bit of everything, you know, working with each other to actually get it all done. And you get the title commitment done and it goes to the attorneys after it gets, they take a look at it and they'll ask about some things that are on, they'll debate some things that are on the policy, on the, on the commitment. They'll, you know, ask to have some things removed, uh, you know, because a policy, a commitment will show rights of other people and what kind of rights they have on the property. So like if I grant you an easement, then that right is going to show on your title policy. And so there's questions that arise when that happens and just... Get a little bit of, uh, you know, all kinds. Of, and, you know, one of the things that you see, we record the transaction too. Absolutely, right. Yeah, we take the documents down to the, well, now we actually record online. And so we actually... Um, check for the accuracy. Yeah, check for the accuracy, make sure that everything's done, and then return the documents to the people when, when everything is closed. Tom, you mentioned that you, your role is neutral third party. 
but sort of a necessary glue uh, and location in which a lot of this is documented, uh, not just recorded, but also preserved. Um, who pays for this then, and 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 how did the how did the even existence of title companies become so important that you are necessary uh, throughout these transactions? Well, in many states, what we do is done by attorneys. Uh, in Arizona, we simplify it. <clears throat> we have the the again the escrow officers do the settlement and the clearance of title, um, and uh, what they do is um, again they're the third party repository in essence, neutral third party. So they work with the buyers, with the sellers. They follow the contract. So we're basically instruction takers. Um, we don't we don't create law. We're not attorneys. We don't create law. We're instruction takers. Once we follow those instructions uh, and to everybody's satisfaction, we create the, the we do the deeds. Um, we uh, make sure the title is cleared through the title department. And then we are the uh, the closer, in essence, of the transaction. We get certificates uh, certificates of uh, uh, I was going to say certificates of deposit, but uh, uh, the CDs, yeah. um, which is now provided by the lender, and that's provided a little bit of a challenge, but we're all working through that and uh, making the best of it. So, in any case, we we work with all parties to transactions, buyers, sellers, lenders, any other creditors to clear title and. Uh, Make that happen. So I'm intrigued. I'm I'm I, I should be wary of sports metaphors because I'm not much of a sports fan, <laughs> uh, and, which became painfully clear when we were interviewing the folks from the Fiesta Bowl. And my questions were very like, so what is what is a football? No, it's not that bad. But uh, you're you're not the umpire in this because you're not providing um, uh, kind of uh, you're not making calls about what is and is not appropriate. You're you're not. Um, you're not representing one or the other side either. You really are uh, kind of documenting, recording, and processing. That's exactly right. Yeah, we're we're the neutral third party that everybody needs to entrust in uh, making sure that everybody's treated fairly, and we're following the instructions on the contract, uh, the purchase contract, or lender's instructions, where they may be, uh, to ensure a successful closing. Now, between the two of you, you have somewhere in the in the area of eighty five years of experience in this field. I'm curious to know what are your observations of how this has changed over time. Are we still doing what you were doing uh, as young professionals, or has the very nature of these transactions and your role changed at all? The nature of the transaction has not changed. The methodology and and the mechanics behind it, and some of the legal ramifications, the uh, that are imposed on us through new legislation that has come along, uh, has changed a lot. The the requirements that we have to fulfill. I remember when we when I first started, you know, we were still typing, you know, literally typing on, and we had uh, carbon copies that we had to correct all copies of that, and you know, those days are way gone, and you know, so it's just a lot of things have changed, you know, but like you said, the method of title insurance has not changed, but the uh, but the techniques of how we get the job done has certainly changed. Certainly the way you handle yes. the documents, how where they go, where yes. they're stored, the digitization of everything. Technology is changing a lot, uh, you know, all industries all over, but certainly our business. Now, it, does this industry predate what we now experience in, in the real estate 
Mark, I mean, is it, were you here as, as professionals before or has this evolved together? The, the title insurance and title companies and real estate agents and so on are, have, have kind of come up together? I think together. Yeah, together. I mean, title insurance has been around for over 200 years. Right. Um, and uh, again, Arizona does it. All states doing it a little bit differently. But um, the evolution... They did come up together. Escrow and title have, in Arizona have always been a team a team sport, so to speak. So, Yeah. Now, speaking of coming up, one of the things I'm intrigued by is, Tom, you mentioned uh, in your introductory remarks that you're either born into it or, or something. I, what is the status of younger professionals joining this industry? I hear from some folks in other industries that this is a struggle. They're not finding younger professionals in their 20s or 30s who are drawn to the field. What's it look like from your perspective in your in your area? That That's a great question. We, we uh, spent a lot of time focusing on that. Uh, because people don't really know our industry really well, we don't market to the consumer. It's business-to-business marketing. Uh, it's kind of hard to um, for our, our, our message to get out there, what kind of business it can be. And I know for Brenda and I, it's been a been a fabulous career for 40 plus years in both cases. It's an industry that uh, is kind of unique where uh, you can come in without a college degree, although it's always helpful and we encourage that and we look for those people, but come in without a college degree and do very, very well as long as you have the patience to uh, to learn a lot of different jobs like Brenda and I, I both have. Um, the um, There's a lot of conversation about how do we market to the millennials and how do we communicate with the millennials? And it's for a couple seasoned veterans, it can be a little challenging. Yeah, so. I think we run into the same struggles that everybody else does that, you know, with the Great Recession, we suffered a whole generation that we lost because, thing, you know, the market was down and everything, you know, so nobody was hiring. There was So we lost a whole generation there. And so now we're trying, just like everybody else, to catch up from that. And so we don't have the... Uh, knowledge that we had, you know, before, you know, you started as the career That's right. and you worked your way up and now we don't have that luxury anymore. You know, now we're hiring people right off the street and throwing them into different positions and training them. And I, you know, I think everybody's suffering from that a little bit. You know, if you talk to the trades, that's kind of everywhere throughout. And that's it. That is where technology has affected us. It's, it's taken away some of those jobs. Uh, through automation and technology that used to exist to help people grow into their career. For sure. And certainly uh, in other fields, we see that if a role is procedural, if it requires uh, uh, knowledge of and access to policies or other formalized language, uh, and the decisions are made relatively based on a set of, of rules that can be understood, then artificial intelligence and machine learning technologies are not only going to replace humans, but do a better job. They're actually going to remove a lot of the error that we see. And and there's a number of industries that are very vulnerable to this. Um, Some types of HR roles are probably going to be the first to go because you don't need to be paying somebody to sit there and look up uh, documents when the algorithm can have it done for you in 45 seconds and be correct every time. Um, And a lot of the... Um, unfortunate and often unconscious bias that can be there when a human being is is 
making executing decisions will also be removed. Uh, and that begs the question of, you know, this may be a good thing for the outcomes, but not necessarily a good thing for the profession. So there's a lot of evolution at stake. Brenda, in your view now, as somebody who's really gone, you know, through so many different dimensions of this work, uh, if you were speaking to a younger, early career person or someone who might be attracted to this industry, what would you tell them is the nature of the work and what's required? Like, what does it take to be good at this? Usually, I like to hire history majors <laughs> because <laughs> it is a lot of history. You know, you sit there and you look at a chain of title and, you know, you may start that chain of title um, back in 1897 and, you know, move forward on that. So, it's it's very interesting to see who owned the property, what kind of uh, – w- what they did with the property when they owned the property. And, you know, you just kind of move along the chain of title and you, and you look at it. So, I do look for people that like history. You know, uh, people and and if I'm hiring for escrow, I they they have to be precise. Usually, good English majors are are good uh, escrow uh, mm-hmm. people and uh, attention to detail. You know, they have to have that attention to detail, and uh, they just have to, you know, like. Yeah, it makes so much sense. Uh, one of my mentors, when I was studying for a master's degree in Middle Eastern history, politics, and culture in the, the 90s, uh, was um, a historian of uh, the 18th century cities in Syria. And he had written a, an entire book on Aleppo. And I'm so grateful he did because the city of Aleppo is now essentially gone um, because of the civil war that's been raging there. But he wrote his book on the basis of Islamic court records. And unlike our court transcripts, which are kind of he said, she said, back and forth, kind of, you know, whatever, the recording of what was said in the in the room, Islamic court records from the 18th century were summaries uh, of the of the documentation of a case. And they were things like, uh, you know, so-and-so brings a claim against their neighbor for having stolen some chickens. Uh, but there was also a lot of property and, and other related issues in there. And he was able to actually, from over 100,000 of these court records, reconstruct, including maps and very detailed understanding of what life was like in the city of Aleppo. So I I love that answer that we look for history majors because we're we're actually trying to understand using a kind of archival material how things have changed over time who you know and things like that and really maintain that chain. What changes aside from technology maybe including technology are coming to this industry? I mean enough has already changed there's no more triplicate copies of uh, you know, carbon paper and the old IBM Selectric and whatnot. Uh, so we've digitized things now. What, we'll, let's start with the current state of things. Um, wh- how does it work today if somebody is going through one of these transactions? Uh, w- w- what's it look like? And then what do you think that'll look like in five years? So I think that right now when people come to the office, they sign. We, we'll have remote notaries that will come to them and, and sign them at their home. I think eventually you're going to be sitting in front of your TV screen and you're going to be closing your transaction right there at your home. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me a bit. Uh, yeah, I yeah. think that that's what's going to happen. You know, there's still going to be somebody behind the scenes that has to do all the, the work to get it done. But you're going to be in the comfort of your own home. The remote online notary, that's what Ron is. And they're actually, they can dial in right there on your TV screen. And you have to show them, you know, you, there's some questions that you have to answer. And there's some um, IDs that, you know, 
verification of your ID that you have to go through. But at that point, you know, you've got somebody, a, a notary that's sitting in Texas and you could be sitting in Japan and you can close your transaction, you know? So it's, it's, it's easy, you know, it, there are no boundaries, you know, there's not going to be any boundaries anymore. That's fascinating to me because, you know, the role of a notary historically is first of all, to, to verify that the the person is who they say they are, and then to witness the the signing of a document, so they kind of connect the identity of the human being with the mark on the paper that then records the that that happened, and then sign their own witnessing. And of course, we have so many new ways now of identifying people uh, as we continue to innovate this. I mean, everybody files their taxes without showing up in person to do things, and and other other forms. It's it's fascinating to me that this kind of um, thing that once required humans may also be moving to other methods. Still important, still need to connect the identity of somebody with the deal, you know, the execution of whatever. Uh, you see how little I know about these things. You're <laughs> but, on track. <laughs> right. So, and we used to mark it <laughs> with, with a pen on paper. Before that, we did on clay tablets. Uh, what else is going to change? Aside from the, the remote online notarization, which is already a thing. What else is coming? I think a lot of things, I mean, it's moving so rapidly that uh, <clears throat> a lot of the conversations we have at, at Land Title Association or at the ALTA conferences has to do with uh, virtual reality closings, uh, development of the e-commerce systems that will enhance the title delivery product out there, which you kind of were alluding to a little bit ago. Uh, how do we deal with cryptocurrency like Bitcoin? Um, those things are happening faster than we know how to deal with it as an industry. And uh, I, I can't imagine what it's going to look like five years from now. Now, Tom, this is fascinating to me because you mentioned blockchain. And from what I understand about it, what what is the, you, sorry, you mentioned cryptocurrency. And what is underneath that is the, the blockchain. And what I understand about that is this is a, a distributed ledger system that tracks the transactions and the actions that are taken on a set of records. In, in a way, the, the underlying technology that makes things like Bitcoin possible is exactly uh, something that ought to be very familiar to you. It's about tracking a chain. There's security involved because those records don't live in any one place. If someone were to try to tamper with them, it would immediately be obvious to the system that there was an aberration in there. Um, there's a lot of complexity to this, but at its fundamental level, it seems like the blockchain is coming in as a contender for the very foundation of the way that this stuff is handled. And you're exactly right. Um, I think that is a, a concern of the title industry as a whole. Um, if you listen to the folks that are behind blockchain and in cryptocurrency technology, they feel it's a more secure system. We're old fashion title people and it's really hard for us to to embrace that uh, we think what we do does require a person and it does require maybe some underwriting background or a business des decision that um, that a, a blockchain or, or technology just doesn't provide well let's talk about this for a minute because I think it's important to provide that perspective that you just began to share certainly um, there's a lot of enthusiasm for uh, the new or the next. Um, you know, there's a lot of people out there talking about things that are nowhere near the state of, of really having a meaningful um, 
you know, level of adoption. Uh, virtual reality is not happening in 2020 or 2021. Nobody's going home and spending an hour in their VR goggles now. So this is maybe coming, but it's not the next thing. Um, obviously, there are a lot of folks who are very enthusiastic about blockchain-related technologies and all the layers that can be built on top of that, uh, whether it's the, the currencies or other forms of tracking um, complex transactions in a in a way that makes them more secure. But you said you feel that humans are important. So let's unpack that a little bit. What is the the role of a trained title officer or an expert in this process? And why is it so necessary? I think it's because, you know, you have what we call meets and bounds legal descriptions, you know, and yes, I think that there is, so you've, they change them, they move them, they, you know, I, and I think that that could eventually, I don't think that, I don't know of any system right now that can be replaced by a human because of that. Yeah. You know, it actually just, what we used to say, it used to be that gut feeling when mm -hmm. you felt like something was wrong, you know, hey, this doesn't look like the right signature. Wait a minute, I'm going to compare it with five signatures back. You know, so there's something wrong. There could be a forgery here. I need to take a look at it. I need to, you know. And so I, I just think that it's that gut instinct that people have that I, I just don't think that can be replaced. So we're seeing that happen a lot in our careers. Um, yeah. And especially in the markets, uh, the more rural markets where you have more complicated uh, legal descriptions to review uh, mining claims, things like that, especially up in Prescott area. Uh, not not quite as much here in the valley. Uh, most things are subdivided in lot and block, so it it does uh, remove that risk a little bit. But on any given transaction, a human needs to look at that and say, "Were well, they going to make a business decision or an underwriting decision?" And it's either going to be yes or no. And I don't think technology has that ability yet. Right. I, no, I would agree for sure. Um, and while we see advances in the pattern recognition side of things. There are some fascinating companies here in the Valley that are developing all kinds of applications for what is essentially trying to understand what's normal and then look for what's different, whether this has to do with monitoring uh, senior populations in their home and noticing, hey, nobody's turned on the light in 12 hours and the refrigerator hasn't been opened. Maybe we should ring the sheriff's department to do a welfare check or whether, you know, through school threat assessments, technologies that are using a variety of different sensors and facial recognition and things that start to get kind of, you know, Gattaca-esque, right, sci-fi, but um, to say, hey, there's a person who doesn't belong or there's some movement in some way or another that doesn't fit a pattern. So that stuff's all coming, but it's not here. Um, and, and the evangelists of that, um, you know, maybe um, eager to convince folks that this is going to replace you. But your assessment is for the near future, this is a, this requires people. Yes. That's my, yeah, my belief as well. Now, one of the things you mentioned uh, with this signature doesn't seem quite right. Let's go and look. Is your a fraud detection role as well? You're looking for things that, that don't fit where something might be awry. Can you speak to some of those? And again, in general ways, what are some of the ways in which uh, this process, you play a role in protecting the integrity of a process that people are trying, maybe trying uh, to to abuse or to skew in their favor? What are, what are the potential issues here? Well, you could have a husband and wife that are uh, in title 
and there could be some problems and they forge the wife's signature to get himself in title and sell the property. You know, I mean, there's, there's, there's things that happen all the time. I go and put, you know, there's mortgage fraud, you know, mortgage fraud is something that you have to, you, you go and you execute a deed of trust. You're not really that person. You execute that deed of trust. You've come in, you've, and you've, you, you, you know, you receive all the cash for that and you're, you're gone. And here's this free and clear property. And the next thing you know, it is, ha, has a mortgage on it that was a fraudulent mortgage, you know, so there's, there's concern. And that's exacerbated by a uh, down economy where you know, we've been fortunate enough to experience a very healthy economy for the last 10 years. Everybody's always worried about the next uh, uh, fall. Uh, I don't believe that's anytime soon, at least through 2020. Uh, but yeah, when you're in a down cycle, um, people do more desperate things and, and they're rate of uh, fraud and, and crime does go up in our business. As you indicated earlier, when you're in a down cycle, there's also less work because there are less transactions. How have you, both personally, professionally, your agencies, how have you navigated the last 40 years? We've had ups, we've had downs, some of them have been down downs. Uh, what does it take to make it through the, the leaner times? Well, We've always tried to run lean um, and protect our employees. We we have a couple things that we do at our companies, and that's protect the consumer and protect the employee. So sometimes, we, although we don't like people working 70, 80 hours a week, it, it happens at times, but uh, we do try to staff appropriately. But uh, we keep pe people busy. And there's always, if you look around, there's always some busy work behind the curtain that, that folks can go in and do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, you know, we, we lived through the Great Recession, so it was, uh, uh, it was a difficult time. You know, there were, there were things that had to be done that we both, none of us like to have, you know, I don't even like to talk about it. It makes me all teary-eyed. So, <laughs> um, you know, and we, we took a cut in pay. You know, there's, there's things that we all uh, across the board all agreed to do. And, you know, let's, we're in it together, you know, so we're going to get through this together. Yeah, rather than cut people, we, we yeah. cut pay, yeah, cut pay. Uh, things like that. Yeah. And uh, no job was too big. No. For any of us. I'm, I'm struck by the fact that your, your industry, uh, your expertise relies on a foundation of trust. And that trust has to start with your relationship with your people and then with your relationship with the consumers and the other partners that you navigate through, with the lenders, with the insurance, with companies, with all the variety of, of folks. How do you – you mentioned that you're a B2B kind of relationship-driven company. You're not marketing directly to consumers. How do you build and grow uh, the business? I mean, Pioneer Title Agency, to mention one of the two that you represent, is is it the largest title agency in Arizona? We are the largest title agency in Arizona, yes. And Yavapai Title Agency also been around a long time, really a trusted part of the the landscape here. Yes. How do you build and maintain that kind of trust? And how do you continue to grow your business, even when you're sitting at the top? I think it's the stories people tell. 
You know, Absolutely, I, yeah. I, I think it's their stories. It's our customers' stories. You know, they they come back and they say, "Oh, we had such a great." You know, this person will you know get the job done. She she had a deadline. She met the deadline every single time, and it's it's the work we do. You know, we take pride in our work and we we get it done. I think we work very hard in our company to develop the right reputation too. So as we recruit people. Um, They've either known our story or we get to tell our story, which is even more important. Um, I think, like I said, we have a great story. It's a very people-focused company. We give back to the community. We really trust each other. And uh, a lot of companies say they're a family, but this is really a family. And there's uh, many examples of of that when uh, maybe one of our family members has a rough spot in their life. We come together and rally and, and support them. You've certainly seen trends over time in the um, allied professions, uh, you know, real estate and other things. Uh, from where you sit, you're, it seems like you're kind of the steadfast constant throughout. You know, people tend to they, – when they think of an opportunity, they don't tend to rush into uh, a title company with, a, with an application in hand. They tend to think, well, I want to get my real estate license and, and do some of that. So you've watched people come, people go. What are your thoughts on the bigger uh, state of f- affairs for real estate in Arizona? What are we seeing now? How is this different from what you've seen in the past? What do you think the near future holds? Arizona has always been a good real estate uh, place to, to do business. Uh, it's always attracted um, the realtors community, the, the lender community, the title insurance community. And um, we, we've always been very healthy being a sunshine state. I think what we've seen in Arizona is our economic platform is stronger and better than it used to be. Uh, we're not as one-dimensional as we used to be. So it's a great place to live. I mean, look at our weather and our climate and uh, outdoor activities and all things like that. So uh, I, everything that I've seen and heard uh, for the next foreseeable future, we're, we're in for a good run. We're, it's going to be a healthy community, you know, almost no unemployment. Uh, those kind of factors are really attracting people to the, to the state and to our business and to real estate in general. Brenda, what, from your point of view, what's changed and what's the same? And, and what do we expect from the real estate industry in general, of which you're a, a very central part? I think that the prices, you know, the real estate market has steadily increased. I think that it's a good uh, investment on your uh, money. And I also think that, um, it, you know, before it, before the recession, it was uh, the 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 pricing went up so fast that nobody could keep up with, you know. And so now I so think it's that sustainable. It, yeah, it's sustainable. We can keep it going, and you know, people like like Tom says, you know, people want to move here. It's it's a great state to live in. Well, as the industry remains dynamic, remains very active, uh, as you look to you know replacing yourselves or bringing in fresh young talent what is the one takeaway you would want folks to know especially those who are maybe on the younger side of things uh, that would have them take another look at this kind of a career what's the one thing you would share from your own personal experience or kind of from your own passion and commitment why have you kept at this what would you want them to know i would say people really need to we need to get the message out to the millennials uh, we not only recruit to the college level, as I said, we recruit to the high school level, and, and maybe college isn't for everybody, you know, trade schools or whatever. But in our industry, if you want to come in at the at the lower level, the bottom level, and learn, there's so many different directions your career can go, whether you want to go into the property research and title examination, 
or the escrow and settlement side of things or or even accounting or, or sales and marketing. There's so many opportunities that if you just come in and, and are willing to work hard, you'll make it. You have a long, rewarding career. Yeah, we do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Can you share some of those, an example of a rewarding moment, something that stands out for you uh, as a time when you maybe went home with a smile on your face and thought, I am doing something that's really meaningful, that makes a difference, Brenda? I think it's about getting, you know, when you have have all these problems on a title report that you got to get, you know, get, get solved. You know, we've got an old mortgage that is from, you know, 1982 and it was for, you know, $50,000 and now that lender is gone, you know. So it's like, okay, well, what can we do to get that closed? And where can we find that lender? Where can we find, oh, they're out of business. Oh, they're defunct. We can go ahead and we can find, you know, the uh, the uh, people that ran the business, you know, and, and they're, uh, and, and, you know, get the, get get all the requirements done to get, actually get the the closing done. Yeah, and going back to people making decisions, I know I've kind of pounced on that a little bit, but uh, the moving van's in the driveway, and for whatever reason, that deed did not get recorded that day. Um, we, uh, we believe that we have to go ahead and make that right, put those people up in a hotel, do whatever case may be, and and finish their transaction the right way. And that happens. It's just fascinating to me. I always find that when you're dealing with professionals who are closest to the micro details, they're really in the weeds of things, uh, you're really discovering someone who sits at the nexus of the law, the the commercial regulations, the transactional stuff, and the human dimensions as well. It can be a really heartwarming thing when it goes well. With regard to your role with the Land Title Association of Arizona, uh, what does the association do? What's on the agenda for the for the coming year? Like, you know, how do you kind of represent um, others and and work together as an industry? What are the what are the top line issues here? Well, Brenda's my boss this year, so. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, this year I, we're going to be looking at some new legislation, and so I can't tell you what that is yet because I'm actually having the meeting tomorrow, <laughs> so we'll see more then. I can talk about what we did last year. We actually, um, last year we we passed the RON bill, which was the uh, state bill uh, 1030, and so we, we, uh, we did support that. And that's we the all- one that made the remote? Remote online notarization, so in Arizona we can now do that. Uh, so we spearheaded. Uh, there's a. There's a. We spearheaded a, another to fix uh, the renewal of judgments. You know, they the judgments were out after time after five years. They changed that a couple of years ago to be ten years now. And so there was some tweaking of that bill that needed to be done. So we took care of that last year. Um, beneficiaries deeds. There was some tweaking of that too that needed to be done. So we fixed that too. We kind of, you know, cleaned it up a little bit. You know. Um, and we'll see. We'll see what's on the horizon for this year. Never a shortage of um, things we need to do with the legislature on working through our, our lobbyist. And uh, it's a pretty active uh, group of folks. It, it seems to me like the industry associations play such an important role in interfacing between the community, the variety of professionals that that work under your umbrella and with the legislature. You know, I ask everybody this because it's it's certainly on our minds, although we're not a political show, we don't take a, 
a point of view on this. We actually say some media leans left, some media leans right. We lean business. Uh, but certainly as the national conversation has been so charged and so polarized and so many people are so angry, regardless of which side of the spectrum they're speaking from, and here you are trying to chart a steady course, uh, continue to do you know good work and do right by people, has the kind of um, – I would say, I'm hesitant to say toxic, but I think we should just call it what it is. Has the toxic rhetoric that's out there in the media made your job harder or easier, or does it not even register as an issue for you? You just carry on. I don't think so. Uh, I think, you know, our industry has been around a long time. We're a very resilient group of people. Yeah, makes and sense. We've, and we've had to ride through the, as you said, the economic up and downs. Um, the uh, Great Recession was something that we'll probably never see again in our lifetime. We can certainly hope. We can certainly hope. I think one of the things that that the that the media actually helps us with and could help us more with is getting out the word about wire fraud. Absolutely. Because that is the biggest thing that is a threat to our industry right now. You know, in the last couple of years, I think since 2016, there's been $26 billion worth of wire fraud. And I think that that's something that is... We, we need to really focus on. Take a minute then and, and tell us about that. What what happens? What uh, what are the problems? Why is it a problem? What needs to change in order to prevent this? So what happens right now is there is, um, uh, we open up, you know, the escrow gets open. We give you our wiring instructions right then. We'll never change those wiring instructions. And then all, all of a sudden, uh, somebody's email gets compromised in the transaction and the seller is gets an email and says, oh, hey, I'm your, you know, and we'll go ahead and, you, oh, our wiring instructions have changed. And they'll wire their money off. And in, what, four hours, it, it can be gone forever. Yeah, so there are offshore. nefarious actors intercepting Absolutely. email transactions. And these are done tens of thousands of times a day. Yes. Uh, the number is incredible. I think the, uh, the, the number that the FBI quoted as of 2016 was $26 billion. Right lost to the consumer in wire fraud. Uh, we work really, really hard to, to do what we can to prevent that. We communicate them in, with, with the buyers in writing. Uh, we talk to them, and we encourage um, uh, that open communication to take place. And uh, that's really one of the few things you can do to prevent it. I, I would like to see the banks take a, a more active role in it. I think they could be a a big help in solving the problem. But it's it's going to take everybody. It's it's a massive issue. Biggest perpetrators, do we have a sense of where this is coming from? It's coming from all over. I, I heard that there was, uh, just last year, there was like 76 of them that were within the United States, but mostly overseas. Yeah. You know? it's. I mean, it's foreign countries. It's it's the bad actors, as they say, in foreign countries. And they have a bank of, of folks that this is what they do. And uh, so it's it's a war against our, our economy. This makes issues like cybersecurity uh, and, again, on the technology side, the the, the urgency to innovate uh, technologies that can provide consumer protection. I mean, the Internet, still being very young, is kind of the wild, wild west. Uh, and this touches on so many things outside of your control. Most people don't even understand what needs to happen for an email to get from their browser to yours. And the number of different places that it has to go through, and certainly some of the biggest companies in the world are working uh, to prevent this stuff. But it's amazing to hear the scale of what's still happening. 
so you mentioned a few things that needs to change. Obviously, the FBI uh, is per, you know under their mandate to pursuing this stuff. Uh, what do people need to do? What do folks need to understand so that they're less vulnerable to being tricked that way? Because it sounds like the, the, it, it's a lot of this is what you might call um, uh, social uh, engineering. In other words, uh, the, an email comes to the inbox and tricks somebody into actually Absolutely. changing things. If they didn't respond to that, they it's not like they can just yeah. intercept the money. The money's secure. That's right. The, they're changing the destination. Yeah, the, exactly. the, the fraudsters are, these guys are good. And uh, the emails that come from what they look at look like as uh, from one of our escrow officers, um, you have to really look close and and try to detect that. Again, uh, ongoing communication between the escrow officer and, and the buyers and the, and the agents and everybody else involved. Um, but if that does happen, the first thing, and it's discovered, the first thing that both parties need to, need to do is hang up, call their fraud department of their bank. We do the same thing on our end as the escrow agent. And that's really your only hope of capturing it before it goes offshore. Once that happens, it's done. there's virtually no, no choice of chance of getting that back. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. A lot of issues at stake here. It sounds like, um, you know, it gets into the realm of international kind of espionage, kind of <laughs> cloak and dagger stuff. I'm, I, you never would have thought at some level when you started as a 17-year-old courier running around right. Prescott right. Uh, that you would end up in a world where dark forces are conspiring to intercept transactions through this thing called the internet uh, and take people's money. Right. Uh, fascinating career indeed. I, I can only imagine uh, uh, not only that that must be fascinating work, but there must be a lot of stories that uh, we can't get into for shortage of time that, that you know show both the good and the bad of this kind of thing. Uh, anything else as we wrap up this conversation that you really want to leave folks with? Any any final words about why this matters or what you want them to be paying attention to that they're not currently paying attention to? Uh, everything we've talked about is is really important. I think. Uh, We'd like to see more interpersonal communication and less technology uh, continue to be part of this business. I think I think it avoids a lot of uh, mistakes from happening, and uh, it it really can be a safeguard against fraud and all kinds of other things. No matter how good the deep fakes get it's unlikely that a hologram is going to convince you as much as a real person. So if you meet folks face to face, I think that's scheduled in tw after I'm out of office at right. LTA, maybe 2025. Push that in later. <laughs> well, this is a fascinating conversation. Thank you very much. Brenda Martinez is the current president of the Land Title Association of Arizona, vice president, chief title officer with Yavapai Title Agency and Pioneer Title Agency. Tom Davis is the vice president and president-elect of the Land Title Association of Arizona, also Vice President with Pioneer Title Agency. Thank you both for joining us in the studio and for sharing your, your deep expertise and insight on this industry. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for letting us tell our story. Yes. For all of us here at Business Radio X, this is Dr. Adrian McIntyre. We'll see you next time on Valley Business Radio. 